Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. I know in our hearts we are obeying what Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and all that that means in the present current conflicts. There are many things that the Spirit is bringing about in the midst of these historical trends where evil is coming to its fullness and where we are expecting the Prince of Peace to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray for those of you in this place and throughout our congregation, throughout all of the places where these messages are heard, that we that you are strengthened in your adversity and also strengthened to enjoy prosperity with humility, which is even sometimes a bigger test. Remember today, incidentally, there, I have to remind myself, there is a meeting right afterwards for certain parties. You know who you are. Brief meeting in the waiting room. Very brief. Won't take much of your time, but it will be significant, the significance of which will be made public before too long. But remember that meeting. Today, Hebrews 9, 24, and we may move into 27. I'm working on something called What Happens When We Die, and a lot less is known about that, even a lot less reported about that, even from the scriptures, than is reported about the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation, and all that will happen post-resurrection. But little is known about just what happens the moment we exit these bodies, and I understand there's going to even be a movie about it, so I'm going to preempt the movie. So we're going to be working on that, and it comes up in Hebrews 9.27. So 9.24 for now. It's good to see the potter's shed here today represented. And, you know, Jeremiah was called to go down there, so there's prophets among you. Beyond its pastoral purpose, Hebrews in its totality is what we've called a phanerosis or a manifestation of perfect love. And therefore, it's an apocalypse of perfect love, a manifestation and an apocalypse of the universal saving significance of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the universal saving impact of his death on the cross, the cross of Christ. This manifestation of perfect love is explicitly the once and for all sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ. There's where it is. By which the Son of God made man became sin to remove sin and to reconcile the world to God. Only one sacrifice was sufficient to satisfy for the reconciliation of the world to God in Christ. Now the British have given us a nice expression which is being adopted into American conversation and it's simply called one-off, one-off as a compound word, O-N-E-O-F-F. -E it's a perfect definition in fact 
for two key Greek words in Hebrews which describe Jesus once and for all and forever self-sacrifice. One-off. One-off means done, made, or happening only once and not repeated. It means something done, made, or happening only once and not a part of a regular sequence. We'll see how that perfectly fits in our passage. This is an excellent definition for both the words hapax, which you'll see in print if you're interested in the notes, H-A-P-A-X, and F-hapax, E-P-H-A-P-A-X, both of which our British friends would recognize as meaning one-off. And we'll see this pop up in our exegesis as we already have before. My translation so far starts like this in Hebrews 9.24, for the Messiah, that's Christ, Christos. In the book of Hebrews, the word Christ appears by itself many times. Very few times it appears in apposition with Jesus, right next to Jesus, Jesus Christ. The word Jesus appears slightly more, edges out the number of references to Christ because the emphasis here is the Christ is Jesus. The name Jesus, whom we see in Hebrews, is the centerpiece of all of Hebrews. In fact, it's the centerpiece of the entire biblical revelation. Jesus is reality. For the Messiah, that's Jesus, did not enter a sanctuary made by hands, a mere representation of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear. That means in the extended now, the ongoing present. Now to appear before the face of God for us. Not in order to offer himself, notice our one-off definition, not in order to offer himself many times. The idea here is that Jesus offers himself before God in heaven. He also offered himself to God on the cross in sacrifice, but there is also a presentation of him before the face of God the Father in heaven. He who became the propitiation for our sins in his sacrifice on the cross remains the propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world as he stands before God the Father, not only as our archpriest, but advocate representing us. Not in order to offer himself many times. Please notice that he enters heaven to offer himself. There's a distinction here between the offering of himself to God in heaven, where he remains before the face of God, and the sacrifice of himself on the cross for us. And it's all part of a one-off happening, a one-off occurrence. Not in order to offer himself many times, that's the Greek word palakas, meaning many times, as the archpriest did, entering into the sanctuary yearly, annually, with the blood belonging to another, in which case he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. That's the creation of the universe. Now, we're going to be making some headway in this because 
I've begun to see something that I never thought I'd see and that that foundation of the world or the creation of the universe actually connects with the passion of Christ, that the passion of Christ on the cross, when it was finished to tell us die, what was finished was the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. Then it says, but now once, please notice that word because really it's the heart and soul of Hebrews. Now once he was manifested, that's our word fanarao again, at the termini of the ages. Now I translate that termini because it's the word suntaleo. You're going to see a lot of the Greek grammatical exegesis in print also, and I think I'll take a couple of Wednesdays to do a pretty in detail grammatical analysis of this text because it's important. Termini there is my translation for suntaleia because it's two things are happening. At the cross, there was the end of one age and the beginning of another, the ending point of the age governed by the old covenant and the beginning point of an age governed by the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, the better covenant, the universal covenant. And so once at the termini of the ages, and we'll explain that even further down the road. Once at the termini of the ages, he was manifested for the removal of sin. Please notice that singularity, sin itself, through the sacrifice, singular, one-off of himself. This one sacrifice is comprehensive of and transcends all the sacrifices of the Old Testament that were only typical, only symbolic of this once and for all one-off sacrifice. This is a complete comprehension of all those sacrifices, and it's called better sacrifices in Hebrews 9.23. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is there is a Pauline pathway to Hebrews. Paul didn't write Hebrews. That's almost a positive certainty. And though it's improbable that Paul the Apostle wrote Hebrews, there's nevertheless a Pauline pathway into Hebrews to that piece of writing. Romans 3, 23 to 25, for example, speaks of propitiation. That which Hebrews says is made by the merciful and faithful archpriest, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 2, 17 and 3, 1. Romans 3, 23 to 25 reads this way. For all sin, that means all of humanity are under the power of sin and complicit with it and fall hopelessly short of the glory of God. Verse 24, which is hardly ever considered when that passage is quoted, and all are justified unconditionally by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All are justified unconditionally by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The same all that sinned, the same all that sin, justified unconditionally by God's grace through the redemption. That's another word of the Levitical cultists that's used in Hebrews, whom God displayed publicly, there's the manifestation, as the place of expiation 
and that's hilasterion, also a word used in Hebrews 9.5. And this is how it goes in 3.26, through the faithfulness that climaxed with his blood. Most translations are misleading. They say through faith in Jesus Christ or faithfulness or the faith in Jesus Christ. What this means is the blood of Christ was the result of his faithfulness that climaxed in his death. We are justified not by faith, our personal faith, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's the understanding that should be understood in Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, that's the faithfulness of Christ. We have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God in Christ, not through our faith, but through Christ's faithfulness. That works throughout the references to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So the other vital function of the archpriest besides propitiation is that of intercession. And that's what we're studying now. Paul spoke of that in the center of his epistle to the Romans. We're on the Pauline pathway into Hebrews in Romans 8.34, in which appears the theological and Christological themes of what I call divine promeity. That means God being for us. God elected himself in eternity. And God lives in eternity, which is perfect time. And this is all going to fit into what happens when we die perfect time. God lives in perfect time, which means he's present to the past, the future, and the present all at once in his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. So here's a hint, and Doug Campbell did a lot of the work on this, and so I'm going to give credit to him in his book called Pauline Dogmatics, written in 2020. But there we become assured that at death, we enter into perfect time. We enter into the time that God indwells, which was otherwise known as eternity. Therefore, and this is what's going to be a challenge for some of you, there is arguably, and this will be the dialectic, no intermediate state after death no interim body after death, and certainly no soul sleep after death. That's insanity. Because nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, including and especially death, there is never a time when we are not unclothed or separated from bodily existence. Never, since birth on forever and ever. And so there is an argument to be made, and I've already been looking at this for a month or so, and so it's only in its infant stages. When we leave this body in what we call death, and I mean finally, not, I don't mean a near-death experience. If you, are, if you die, you don't come back to talk about it. If you have a near-death experience, and millions of people have those, NDEs, they're called. In fact, they have conferences for people that have been through NDEs. Some are legit because they see Jesus, of course. But when we leave this body, we do not enter into, as the Gnostics would teach, a disembodied state where we're in a flotation until the Lord comes and resurrects all humanity. 
We are, in fact, arguably, we enter into the simultaneity of the past, the present, and the future. And therefore, when we enter into the presence of God, at death, we are already bodily resurrected at that moment because we inhabit the future with God at that moment. In fact, we are already present to the future because we are in God's perfect time, because now we are in Jesus' time, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there's a lot of things that we thought we understood about the interim body, the intermediate experience, and I think we're going to see an argument in which that whole thing is done away with. Now, there, is, there are two ways that we come to our end in our lives in the flesh on this planet. One is death. The other is a direct encounter with Jesus Christ at his parousia, in which at that moment we are transformed. We're all changed. We don't all sleep, and that Paul meant by that, die. It's a euphemism for death. We will not all sleep. Death doesn't have a monopoly over all the human race. Physical death does not. There will be millions who will not see that, just as Enoch shows us. But we shall all be changed. Flesh and blood, as it is now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We shall all be changed. And so when the Lord returns in the parousia, which means his effective presence and gives everyone a body of glory like his own, those who will have died have already had that happen. They have already had that happen. So what happens is perfect time takes over all of humanity. All of space and time is taken over by God's perfect time. And it takes over all of history. It redeems history. It redeems time. And God is all and in all. And all are in God. And therefore all inhabit perfect time. And so there is also an argument to be made that loved ones aren't waiting for us there after they pass into the presence of God. To them, you're already there because they inhabit what is future to us. So this all came into focus in 1915, the year 1915. Campbell makes it very clear that he's glad he lived after 1915 because that's when Einstein got something right and saw time not as a continuum or a sequence, but as a field. And when you see time as a field, then your whole perspective changes, your whole mind changes, your whole perspective on time and space changes. So a lot has to be dealt with here. That's why we're going to, you say, well, where, how does that fit into Hebrews? Well, we're going to see in Hebrews 9.27, once is used again, is given to man once to die. Once to die. Death is a one-off. And then the judgment. And the word meta doesn't mean after that a judgment where down the road everybody's gathered together and judged. It means that at death that judgment occurs. One-off. At death we are not only in the presence of God in resurrection, in inhabiting the future, but we pass at the moment of death through the fire that judges all of what we've done on this earth, whether good or bad, and blows it away. So very quickly, probably in an instant, and the fire is Jesus Christ himself. God is love, but God is also a consuming fire. It is given to people normally, 
wants to die. And with that, the judgment. With that death comes the judgment. With that death comes the fire that declares our works, blows away all that was dross, maintains silver, gold, precious stones. We don't know what that means because we think some of the things we do may be off kilter, but they may be exactly what God led us to do. And some things we might think we're serving God in Christian service, but we're doing it in the energy of the flesh, and poof, it goes away. So you see what we're up against here. We're up against a hard break, as they say on TV. A hard break between what has been experienced as an insight regarding the intermediate state or the interim state and what is in reality something far, 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 far greater happens when you die. You can be happy about it, actually. In fact, it's a cause for a great joy, and that's coming up. You know what that was? Sometimes the best part of a movie experience is the previews. I just gave you a preview. Not anymore, though, because there's a, the previews lately for movies are so idiotic that you almost want to walk out during the previews. But the other vital function of the archpriest, besides propitiation, which happens on a one-off, non-sequential, non-repeatable event at Calvary's cross, is also Romans 8.34, and that appears right in the heart of the Christological themes of divine primaity, God's being for us in Romans 8.31, we showed how that's right literally, literarily dead center in the middle of Romans. God for us. Because in the doctrine of election, which is handled between Romans 8.29 and 39, the first one elected is God himself. God elected himself to be God for us and no other God. There is no other God before us but God for us. I never said that before. Just said it now. There is no other God before us except for God for us. Don't have any other God before you but God for us because that'll be an idol God. And when I say us, I mean the world. Because God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Because God elected himself to be for us. Then he elected Jesus Christ to be the only re rejected one for us. Became a curse on the cross for us. Cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree. Jesus Christ hung upon the tree as every man and took every man's curse and took it away. He became sin, sin per se, sin in its own essence, so that we would become the very righteousness of God in him. There's no higher way of thinking about yourself than that you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's such a lofty thing to think about because such a horrific thing occurred when he became sin for us. Sin is singular, as sacrifice is singular. All sins were comprehended in him becoming sin, just as all sacrifices were comprehended and transcended when he became the singular, one-off sacrifice. And the one who sacrificed himself appears in heaven for us. 
representing us. We are there in him. He is there in us. We are in him. He is in us. We in Christ and Christ in us is a preview of God in us and we in God, all in God, God in all. 1 Corinthians 15, 28. And so right at the heart of Romans 8, 31, followed by God did not spare his only eternally begotten son, but freely handed him over on behalf of us all. All comes up right there. So God for us in 831, God for all in Romans 832. All. And then election comes up. Who's going to lay any charge against God's elect? That's you and I. God elects the community called the New Covenant community only to be a witness to the world whom he also elects to share the eternal glory of his son. Jesus Christ is elected not only to be the only one rejected for us, but he is elected for us and we in him. He represents us in every way. That's what archpriest means. That's what mediator means the only mediator between God and man. So we go into the doctrines of election, justification, glorification, and the love of God in Christ Jesus in Romans 8, 35 and 38, from which we can never be severed even in death because Jesus Christ is the Lord of time. Because he's the Lord of time, there's never a time and never a moment when we are disembodied and unclothed with a body. Never. And so we are not, death does not separate us. Not only does death not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, but it introduces us into the fullness of the love of God in Christ Jesus. There's nothing to fear about death. Death has lost its sting. Death has lost its punch. Death should lose its power to create fear or even trepidation in your life as believers in Jesus Christ. And that means for anyone. And so now, Romans 8.34 talks about Jesus Christ. And you can take a look at it in your, in your scriptures if you want to because it's very important. This is the Pauline pathway to Hebrews. Romans 8.34, he is risen it says, and not only that, but he makes intercession for us. And the word entukano is used there. He makes intercession for us. The intercession of the risen Christ for us. And the same word, entukano, you'll see it in print, is deployed in Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come through him to God. He lives to make intercession for them always. All of us came through him to God because when he came to God, we all came with him through him to God as he represents us all. He is the propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So again, here's Romans 8.34. Who is the one who will condemn? Who can stand before the judgment of God and condemn you? And then he says this, and this is an absurdity. This is what we call a, an absurdity in debate. Reductio absurdum. Who will condemn? Christ? 
the one who died, and beyond that was raised up, and that goes back to Romans 4.25, raised up for our justification, which came about through his faithful death for us, who is now and forever at the right hand of God, interceding and to Kano for us, for us. Two things are made by the archpriest then, propitiation and intercession. Propitiation speaks of satisfaction. The offering of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the one-off sacrifice was that which provided satisfaction to God, that those at enmity to God were now his friends. These two come together as well in 1 John, as we've noted many times, for there Jesus Christ, the righteous one, which is his name throughout Romans, is identified as the advocate and the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. But perhaps most notable on the Pauline pathway to Hebrews, the Pauline pathway to Hebrews is Ephesians 5, 2. Now we're building this wall brick by brick, so this is just another brick in the wall. Ephesians 5, 2. And oh, by the way, teacher, leave those kids alone. <laughs> Public school teachers I'm talking about. Perhaps most notable then is Ephesians 5, 2. And keep walking in love. Keep walking in love. Sounds like Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Keep walking in love. As also the Messiah, Christ, loved us. That's this kind of love and handed himself over for us. Not only did God hand him over for us, but he handed himself over for us. He gave himself in a one-off sacrifice. An offering, that's the word prosphora. Again, we're gonna look at that in our detailed exegesis. It's found in Hebrews 10, 5, 10.8, 10.10, 10.14, 10.18. And a sacrifice, that's thusia, a prosphora offering and a sacrifice. Thusia, which is found in Hebrews 5, 1, 7, 27, 8, 3, 9, 9, 9, 23, 9, 26, 10, 1, 10, 5, 10, 8, 10, 11, 10, 12. And Hebrews 11, 4, as well as 13, 15, and 16. You see how the Pauline pathway goes into Hebrews. It's a highway. Ephesians 5.2 distinguishes offering and sacrifice. I'm only going to do minor exegesis today. Minor surgery only hurts a minute. Prosphoron, P-R-O-S-P-H-O-R-A-N. Chi thusian, T-H-U-S-I-A-N. Offering and sacrifice, Paul says. Offering and sacrifice. Does Paul distinguish offering and sacrifice? Or does one just mutually reinforce the other so that it's a once and for all sacrifice offering of Jesus Christ? That Jesus handed himself over to be an offering and a sacrifice seems to show that both prosphora and thusia can be construed as Jesus' self-sacrifice on the cross. Now, in the Septuagint version, the Greek version of Leviticus 4.31, the Greek text reads something very interestingly. It says, sacrifice of peace offerings in the Hebrew, 
or the sacrifice for well-being, shalem or shalom. But in the Greek text of Leviticus 4.31, it says, Thusias soteria, which means the sacrifice of salvation, the sacrifice of deliverance, which is the sacrifice of eternal salvation in Hebrews 5.9. In Hebrews, Jesus Christ's obedience led him to become the source of eternal salvation in Hebrews 5.8-9, and that's salvation for all of humanity, as we've shown many times before. So NB, not North Bennington, but nota bene in the, in the Latin. Nota bene, I put it in my notes as capital N, capital B. Agape, for love, and agapao, the action verb of love, is connected with both prosphora and thusia, or offering and sacrifice in Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love, even as Messiah loved us and gave himself a, an offering and a sacrifice. Also nota bene, NB, that in Ephesians 5, 2, Paul stresses that Christ handed himself over, paradidomi, handed himself over. He didn't do it involuntarily, but voluntarily, to be both the offering and the sacrifice, which to God was a pleasing fragrance. Pleasing fragrance means God's approval, God's satisfaction, that the sacrifice and the offering was made that gave God satisfaction where he could not find satisfaction in offerings and sacrifices and whole burnt offerings called holocausts in the Old Testament, Hebrews 10.8, four kinds of offerings. In Jesus Christ's one-off sacrifice, God was satisfied that the reconciliation of the world had come about, that those who were formerly enemies are now God's friends, that redemption was wrought for all, that propitiation was satisfied, that Wrath, any wrath towards sin was satisfied in Jesus becoming sin and enduring and bearing sins. God received it as a fragrant aroma is symbolic of the fact that God wholly and completely approved of the sacrifice of Christ because it did that which all the sacrifices of the Old Testament could not do. Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and holocausts you did not desire, says the psalmist in Psalm 39.7 in the Septuagint, 40 verses 6 through 8 in English texts. You didn't desire those. Those weren't your final pleasure. But only one sacrifice, the one-off sacrifice, of Jesus Christ. That's why when we leave this body, we enter into the perfect time of God, God's perfect time, who inhabits eternity with also with those who are of a crushed spirit, as Isaiah 57, 15 says. So please nota bene, most of all, that Paul emphasizes that Christ handed himself over for us, paradoken auton huper hemon, for us, pronobus. In Ephesians 5, 2, Christ handed himself over for us. In Hebrews 9, 26, Christ gave himself 
to put away sin. He handed himself over for us in Hebrews 9.26, following the Pauline pathway, he gave himself for us, auton, for us, to put away sin itself. In Ephesians 5.2, this was the ultimate act of love. It's the ultimate act of love, the love of Christ. In Hebrews, the removal of sin was understood to be the act of the perfect love of Christ. We're back to 2 Corinthians 5.14 in our apocalypse for right now. For the love of Christ controls us because we have come to make this judgment. That means without equivocation. We have come to this conclusion that if one died for all, and he did, then all died. All died in his death. No one alive can be justified in God's eyes. So what happened? Christ died, and when he died, all died. The only ones that can be justified in God's eyes are those who died. The one who died, Jesus, represents us all in dying. In dying, we are justified. In dying, he was justified. In resurrection, that justification was manifested. Ephapax is another word for one-off. One Ephapax, strengthened word, hapax. Hapax is enough to say once and once and for all. But Ephapax strengthens it with the word epi in front. It's found in Hebrews 7.27 with anapharo, which is the off. I'm just doing a very little tip of the iceberg exegesis here, but it goes with the word that means offering in Hebrews 7.27. Ephapax, once and for all and forever, without need of repetition, not part of a sequence, but outside of a sequence altogether, a sui generis, a category of its own, a one-of-a-kind offering. And that word, ephapax, is also associated with Hebrews 10.10, where Jesus offered his body once for all. In Romans 6.10, ephapax is used in the Pauline pathway into Hebrews. It describes the death of Jesus Christ to sin, per se. Jesus' offering of himself was the condemnation of sin itself. We're going to see that, how that works out in Romans 8.3, which says explicitly that sin was condemned in the flesh. God sent his son. What the law couldn't do, and that includes all the sacrifices and offerings and holocausts and whole burnt offerings offered under the law, what they could not do, God did. God did. Sending his son, it says. And in sending his son to be the propitiation for sin, God condemned sin itself and per se in the flesh of the Son of God. God became flesh. The Word, eternal Word himself, God, became flesh. Becoming flesh, God condemned sin in his flesh on the cross as he became sin once and for all for us that we would be made the righteousness of God in him, we being the world. Now we're the church. Why are we special? <laughs> we're not. We just happen to know this and the world doesn't and so we are witnesses to Jesus Christ and his 
total sacrifice for sins, and we go to the world and say, be reconciled to God because, oh, you're reconciled to God. And so we are witnesses. That's what we're on earth for. And our time as witnesses will be up when we die or when the Lord comes and we meet our end in that transformation that happens through a direct encounter with him universally. One way or another, we end our witness. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ. You say, but I'm not a pastor. I haven't been ordained as a minister. I haven't been a deacon or I haven't been an elder of a church. I haven't done this or that. I don't even go to church that often. You're a witness of Jesus Christ in ways that you have no idea about because what you can't do, God does. And so that end comes. God doesn't say, you blew it. Come on. And... Know what he says? He says, your time as a witness is up. And you did what I wanted you to do on earth. You say, but what did I do? And he says, I know. And I'll show you. Your purpose, your life had purpose and meaning and definition even when you did not discern it to be that way. That's what we're going to find out at the judgment. What he burns away is not going to be what you think. It'll be like the fourth man walking in the fire with the three Hebrew boys. The only thing burned off them were the things that held them. The binding, the bindings were burned off. And so the fire that you meet at the moment you leave this life burns away everything you don't want anyways. You say, for some of us, that's going to be a bigger bonfire. <laughs> yeah, I expect a pretty big one. It's called the bonfire of the vanities. Everything burns up that was empty and vain and stupid and self-glorying and all the rest of it. And so, by the consummate, singular, unrepeatable, single, singularly, divinely satisfying sacrifice of himself, Jesus removed sin removed sin. That's what Hebrews 9.26 means. Removed sin. That's singular, meaning more than plural, innumerable sins. Yes, he removed innumerable sins, but even more powerful a word than that is sin itself was removed from the cosmos. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He removed the sin of the world. And therefore, he removed sin from both halves of the created cosmos, the earthly and the heavenly spheres of creaturely being. This word once, hapax, is opposed to offer himself many times in Hebrews 9.25 and opposed to having to suffer many times in 9.26a. So here we are in our exegesis, Hebrews 9.25. I'm wandering all over the desert here today and just expecting God to pop with insights, and he does that. What I can't do, God does. I can't preach. God can. I can't teach. God can. I can't come to insights. God can give them. Hebrews 9.25. Not to offer Prospero himself many times, Palakas, as the archpriest, that's the sequence of offerings offered by the archpriest of the Old Covenant, especially on Yom Kippur, enters into the holy place annually, kat eniauton, with the blood of another. For then, 
he would have had to suffer many times. He's not like the archpriest of the old covenant under the Levitical law because then he would have had to suffer many times, Palakas, since the creation of the universe. The idea here is he has only suffered once since the creation of the universe, and that means the whole idea of the creation of the universe and its time and space continuum are all included in the embracing of his sacrifice. His sacrifice redeemed time, redeemed history, redeemed all of creation, all of the cosmos, all of the universe, all of humanity within the universe, because he suffered once since the creation of the universe. So in one sense, the very fact of his suffering and death was the cosmogenetic act. It was the genesis of a new creation. And so what is ignored today, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, will be the central reality of the new creation. It will be that which people relate to with gratitude and thanksgiving daily as their lives are full of meaning. We can't imagine what it's like when we leave this body because we can't imagine operating in and living within perfect time and space without sin. We can't imagine living in a time when all humanity that has ever lived in a sequence of generations is no longer in a sequence of generations, but all one contemporary mass of humanity with perfect joy, perfect happiness, perfect brotherly love, perfect peace, going about their life and business with perfect gratitude and happiness for grace received. Apex, and this is where I want to close because this is what brings us to the preview. Hapax, H-A-P-A-X, appears in 927 in a verse that's so often misunderstood, misquoted. The reason he puts 927 in there where he says, for even as it is given to men or human beings once to die, and meta, not after, but with that, the judgment. So he once, in his first coming in 928, appeared, Phanerao, to bear the sins of many, and we've shown that many means all, to bear the sins of many, meaning all, shall appear again bringing salvation to all who wait for him. People like to make that local. See, those who wait for him. It's only those who believe that are actively waiting for him. Yeah, well, you've got to go up on a hill somewhere and wait with white robes on. No. You know who's waiting for him? All creation. All creation is waiting, says Hebrews 9, or Romans 8, speaking of the Pauline pathway. Romans 8, 19 to 23 says all creation is waiting. Now, you could go to somebody today and say, are you waiting for the Son of God to come? No, I don't even believe in him. You're waiting for him. You don't know it, but you were waiting. For in other words, he's bringing salvation to all in his second appearing. But in 927, he puts this in here, and the, the writer is an ingenious writer here under the power of the Holy Spirit, to lay further stress on the finality and singularity and comprehensiveness and completeness of Christ's sacrifice by comparing the concept 
to the singularity and finality of death in human beings. People die once. Once. And that's final. Now, what about people with NDEs? That's the, the acronym now for near-death experiences. These have been had by thousands of people, and they, have, they actually have conferences and talk about them. Dr. Mary Neal is one of them, and I, I think hers is authentic. She was underwater in a kayak for 30 minutes and experienced Jesus Christ himself holding and embracing her. She lived through that, but she saw a lot in between. 30 minutes underwater in a kayak, she saw a lot about what's happening. They can't explain everything that's happening because you cannot, no one comes back to explain what happens after you die. Paul saw what happens after you die and he said, I can't explain it. In fact, he said, it's not even lawful for me to speak about it. I can't even begin to explain it. But I can tell you this, we know that time is not a sequence there. Time is comprehensive, and it's perfect time, and it's called eternity. And there, you're already inhabiting the future that God already inhabits, that Jesus already inhabits, and that he was inhabiting as he appeared in his resurrected body for 40 days on earth. That was a specific period of time in which he who embraced all time and all space and all humanity talked to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And so it's Jesus' time. We get on Jesus' time. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever all at once. So get on Jesus' time is what happens when you leave this body. Nobody comes back to talk about it. They come back and talk about what they saw in their near-death experiences, but there's always a wave of mystery over it. They, don't really, they can't really explain it fully because that's because they haven't fully died. If you fully died, you wouldn't come back. Only one came back to talk about it, and that was Jesus. So once, people die once, that's final. People who have had NDEs have not died for if they had died in the sense of Hebrews 9.27, they would not have lived to tell about it. Think about that. Another profundity today. Go tell people your minister said a profound thing today. If they died, they wouldn't have lived to tell about it. That's what my preacher said today. And people will say, we knew it. You are in a cult. So that there are NDEs, near-death experiences, is not to be doubted. I don't doubt a lot of them. And these may often come with a hint of what follows death, a hint. But to die happens only once for human beings, unless, of course, they come to their end by a direct encounter with the Lord at his parousia, which we call the second coming, which is really a third coming, while they're still alive. In that case, they come once and for all to their end in a new beginning of life in immortal and incorruptible bodies of glory. So we know that physical death is a new beginning of life, life indeed. In Hebrews 9.26, hapax once is used with prospero, which means to offer. A detailed analysis is needed to hear to 
express this, and I'm going to do that, I think, on some Wednesday messages. Such an analysis is going to serve to establish the synonymous nature of keywords in Hebrews, prosphora for offering and thusia for sacrifice. There is a distinction, but there is also a similarity. But that's going to be for another time. The Hebrews author is very sharp. And in Hebrews 10.8, he groups together four different kinds of offerings, sacrifices and offerings, and holocausts and whole burnt offerings. They are customarily offered in the Old Testament under the law to God, all of which God does not will, does not find satisfaction with, or desire, or have delight in, or approval of. In Hebrews 10.8, he uses the plural. The, the writer is so ingenious here. If you look at the Greek, it's, it's like you're looking at something that's unbelievably awesome and astonishing. In Hebrews 10.8, the, the writer uses the plural instead of the singular that's used in Psalms. So that God will not be viewed as not wanting the singular sacrifice and offering of Jesus, his son, and Messiah. In other words, he's saying sacrifices, plural, God didn't want. Holocausts, plural, burnt offerings, God did not want. Whole burnt offerings, God did not want, plural. And offerings for sin, God did not want or desire, plural. Those are all plural in the Hebrews author. But what he's saying is by reversal, what God did want was one sacrifice, one offering for sin, one holocaust, and Jesus Christ's death was the ultimate holocaust to be remembered, not once a year, but every single moment of living, the holocaust, because in Jesus Christ's death, guess what went up in smoke? The old man, the man of sin, the old man that we cannot put away. And there's so many people that want to make, well, we heard Jesus' sermon. I saw it on a TV series. We heard his sermon, and so we want to do good now. That's not what his sermons are all about. He became a holocaust, a whole burnt offering. And in that whole burnt offering, what went up in smoke and flames was your old man, your old self, the self that you are that is inauthentic, that is no longer relevant, that is no longer pertinent. God did not want those things plural. He wanted a singular sacrifice in which the Holocaust would burn up all and consume all sin and sinfulness and the man of sin himself. So Jesus Christ, in becoming sin, in effect, became the man of sin. And the man of sin went up in smoke in his holocaust. That's the most. And you know, people that have suffered the holocaust that we speak of so often, that idiots today deny and celebrate evil, Evil personified in its resentment, in its form of resentment. Anti-Semitism, a horrible evil. And there is no parity or equivalence between what terrorist organizations do and what Israel has to do in reprisal. There is no comparison. And if you compare it, you're deceived. But all of that Holocaust that happened, the horror of it, is going to be compensated in a way that you cannot imagine in 
perfect time, in God's time, when God is all and he's in all. The, the horror of suffering endured on this planet is going to be compensated not by men, but by God himself in ways that we cannot imagine. And so as the proverb writer said, and I'll tell you where down the road, both the oppressor and the oppressed are brought into the eternal light of God. In summary then, when did God speak with finality in a son? God who at various times spoke in the prophets provisionally with a view to something greater has in these last days spoken in a son. What does that mean? Jesus said it this way, when you will have lifted me up, you will know that I am he. When you have lifted me up, meaning on the cross of Calvary, you will know that I am Yahweh in the flesh because I am Yahweh pierced. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. When you lift up the Son of Man, it is when the Son of Man was lifted up that God spoke with finality in his Son, Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was then, precisely in the act of Jesus being lifted up on the cross and crucified, that God has spoken with finality in a Son, his Son, Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, he whom God appointed, heir of all things, through whom he made the universe, who is the visible radiance of God's glory and the exact visible self-representation of his invisible reality, who upholds the universe by his omnipotent decree. And you know what that decree is? To tell us die. That's the word that upholds the universe and brings it to a conclusion in God's perfect time and perfect space. He carries everything that happens in it through the course of all time to a redemptive objective, who has made purification for sins, who has sat down in the highest heights at the right hand of the eternal majesty, having become as much better than the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In summary, Jesus won off once and not repeated self-sacrifice or once and for all offering comprehends, transcends, fulfills as the antitype and replaces all the sacrifices, offerings, gifts, some are even called Dora gifts, peace or salvation offerings, the Holocaust made under the Levitical cultus, which after all, all told and all together could not satisfy God in the bringing about of the reconciliation of the world to himself, the expiation of the sins of the whole world, the one-off sacrifice of himself by Jesus Christ at the termini of the ages did that. What the law couldn't do with all those sacrifices, God did by making one-off sacrifice. 
And so we're back to 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Christ is the peace offering that brought about peace between God and all of humanity by the blood of his cross. Consequently, it is precisely the God of peace in Hebrews 13.20 who led up from the realm of the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, even our Lord Jesus, with the blood of the everlasting covenant with which he went into heaven itself as an ongoing manifestation of perfect love. The once and for all self-sacrifice of Christ at the termini of the ages is the ultimate manifestation of perfect love which is the only experience we have from the moment we leave this body in death. Jesus is the whole burnt offering, the Holocaust, in which not only sin, but the man of sin, the old man, the Adamic ontology, was consumed and went up in flames and smoke. At death, all that that old man ever did goes up in flames and smoke instantly, and you occupy perfect space. You don't have to wait for your relatives to come like you're waiting for them. They'll already be there as you inhabit the simultaneity of yesterday, today, and forever in Jesus' own time, who is called the Lord of time because guess what? First Timothy 1.17, he is the king of the ages. Thank you, Father, that we have this message, and it seems that the more evil rises in our time, and the more evil comes to even rise against this message, the more you allow insight and light to come from the word of life. And Father, whatever it means for us to receive this insight, whatever price on this side seems to be paid, I ask for that insight. I ask that you'll give us the kind of light from your word that gives us hope. Hope that is not hoarded by ourselves, but hope that's held out to this world as a word of life. Father, we have witnessed, and some of us very explicitly witnessed, the personification of Rasantama, the very essence of sinful bitterness and hatred against the Jewish people, for example, but that's really a hatred against you, against the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And Father, we recognize on the balance and way beyond the balance of that evil, the ultimate divine good that was revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ. May we be occupied with that person, our Lord, our Savior. And again, may we not hoard the hope that we're receiving here today, but hold it out as the word of life in our generation. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.